Hi everyone, welcome to episode 24 of an Inside View podcast with On The Ball Team Building. If this is your first time listening to an Inside View podcast, we really appreciate it. Go back to episode 1 and have a listen. Please do rate, review, tell your friends, family, whoever may know about the podcast. Uh, we'd like to give a big shout out to the guys there up in Mayo, GRG Sports, who have been a great help over the last couple of months um, as sponsors of an Inside View podcast. So be sure to, to get in contact with them if you're thinking of kitting out your local sports team or if you're a small business and you, you want to kill out you know, a few of the employees, uh, they'd be more, happy, more than happy to uh, help you as well. It's time to bring on this week's guest, and uh, this episode was actually recorded a couple of weeks ago, um, before the current lockdown period. I'm delighted to be joined by Cork senior lady star Orla Farmer. The Middleton native went into the inter-county scene while she was in fifth year in school and has become a vital player for the Cork side over the last decade. The first lockdown period allowed Orla to put all her attention in completing her PhD, the design, development, implementation and evaluation of Gaelic for players intervention. The six-time All-Ireland winner is passionate about women in sport, especially in the GAA. She's focused on trying to keep women in Gaelic football, which is currently which currently has a dropout rate of fifty percent by the age of twelve. Um, this is something actually we go into in great detail in this interview, and we get a great insight into how she you know how she balances, uh, how she balances her PhD and training for training more or less full time as an intercounty athlete. Hi Orla, welcome to an interview podcast. How are you keeping? Hello, thank you for having me on. Uh, I'm doing good now, thank you. Very good, very good. How was uh, how's lockdown for you? Do you know, I, I know it's a couple of months gone now, but how did you find that period of, of time? Did you find the testing mentally and physically as well, in a way, I suppose? Yes, definitely. I think um, just the unprecedented nature of it, really, I think that, um, you know, I remember just being in the dressing room. I think we played Donegal in our last league game. Um, and then we trained on that Wednesday and it was the Thursday then Leo made the announcement about lockdown but we all kind of just assumed Asher look Brian now we have two weeks off how bad um, from training and then you know it just went on and on so yeah it was it was challenging it, it did kind of test the the motivation and the willpower just training on your own and things like that I think the intensity really I think I missed the most um, and obviously the social aspect of the game and you know the hard sessions and the competitiveness of it all. Um, we were in the middle of the league as well and we were uh, due to be in a league final really um, against Galway. So you know the momentum was just building and then it just stopped. So it, it was tough in that sense to kind of, you almost felt that coming out of lockdown, it was like pre-season pre again, pre-training and trying to get the fitness back up. Um, so yeah, it was it was challenging, um, but it, at the same time, I think it kind of forced me to slow down and to kind of you know appreciate my time at home with my family, and obviously it helped it helped in terms of finishing up my my PhD studies as well. I had more time uh, to myself, but at the same time, you know, you obviously want to be playing sport and you want to be competing, and there's only such a short span where you can be playing at an elite level, so. Know, missed opportunities like that and are months that you'll never get back so it was tough but I'm just glad now that we can finish off the season um, and you know we have a few weeks now to, to get ourselves ready for championship 
um, coming up over the next few weeks. So it is nice, like although it's been a weird, strange year, uh, quite challenging, but it is nice to finish it playing football. And what's the makeup um, over the next couple of weeks? Is there is the league going to be finished and then championship, or is it going to be straight out knockout for the championship? So the league, um, the thereafter, just there's no league, um, uh, just due to the the circumstances. So it'll be straight into to championship. Um, so I think there's four groups, um, which are three teams, and the top, uh, the group, the top group then go through to the semi-finals. So really, like if you get to a final, that's only four games. Um, it's a short season. So it, it's kind of is like knockout really because you you want to be winning all your games. Um, you want to top your group to the All Ireland semi-final stages. So, uh, like I mean, we've we've about six or seven weeks now uh, left before our first game. I think we're playing Kerry first, and we're playing Cavan then after, um, and then so it, it's really kind of the next few weeks will determine a lot now. Um, but look, as I said, it is what it is. You know, unfortunately, we had to we didn't get a chance to play the league, but at the end of the day. It's championship you want to be playing. It's you know you want to be at your peak, um, and it's going to be Christmas this week, I suppose. If you get the final, that we're going to be you're going to have to be at your your peak, popping off the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> and in, enjoying it then, hopefully after. Um, it 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 definitely like it definitely going to be very testing because like you were saying there, the build up to the Galway. Hopefully you were going to be playing Galway in the league final. You know, so you were trying to you know peak for that game and then you had obviously the break so it effectively like you said it's another pre-season do you find that do you find yourself fitter now or do you, are you as yeah bad? I mean I think I think like with that just with the way championship worked this year with the clubs I mean like we were all playing football but I suppose with Cork ladies like we all play at different levels so like for example my own club at home would be junior B um, and some girls are playing then senior A level with their clubs as well. So everyone's kind of getting a different intensity. Um, I did find it tough, all right, coming back a few weeks ago, just trying to get fitness back up and going. But I suppose, you know, you do need to be training together as a team and you need to be kind of bouncing off each other to get that fitness back up and going. And like, we do have time. And um, like some girls obviously have more of an advantage of playing senior championship and the intensity is much higher. But look, at the end of the day, at least we got to play with our clubs. Um, at least we got game time. Um, and, you know, that's just the way it is. It is what it is now. And as I said, we have time now. But it definitely was testing. Uh, testing on the body, I think, more so than anything. Because I think the older you get, the more you feel the effects of rough training session. And it does take a bit longer to recover. Um, so you just kind of have to take it day by day really and see how the body is but look we've time like what seven weeks I mean a lot can happen in seven weeks as a team now and we have we have that time to train together and I think that's the most important thing because although we have all been training separately and we've been tipping away with football like it's it's the togetherness and it's staying together that's what we need now. Are you going to have any challenge games before then, all going going according to plan, you know, aside from the restrictions and all that? Yeah, I mean, like every every weekend now we have a game, um, whether it's a challenge game or whether it's just a game against each other. Um, we have a big panel now this year, so in a way it's kind of good because we have enough numbers for a match against each other at trainings. And I think those kind of training sessions are the most important because 
everyone gets a chance to kind of, you know, prove and try to get on that starting 15 um, as opposed to just training all the time. And because we've missed out on all those league games and other championship games, like we need that now. So uh, to be fair to our management, um, they are giving us that opportunity every week, at least once a week, if not twice a week, to play either against each other or other teams as well. So, um, yeah, like it, as I said, you can't beat playing a match. That's important. Yeah, I know. Definitely, you know, trying to get up to to that standard now that you want to be up for championship. Um, something I, I I came across there that you know before the COVID, you were planning to um head away to do a bit of traveling at the end of the year. Obviously, that park now. Um, you were looking at doing maybe a documentary, or did I, did I read that wrong? Yeah, so I suppose I had um I I should actually be heading away next month according to my travel plans but obviously you know due to the circumstances that has been pushed back now another bit I suppose I'll probably be looking at mid next year now at this stage just depending on what's going on in the world um but yeah it kind of it kind of came through my research really um something I kind of developed in my research and I suppose I'm I wanted to travel with a bit of a purpose um because I'm so passionate about you know, women in sport and promoting physical activity in sport. Um, I, I kind of said, you know what, when I travel around, I kind of wanted to create a movement mission whereby, you know, I go to different clubs, different cultures in different countries and I kind of trial out my program. So the program is is basically uh, kind of a, a sports dance program, something I developed through my PhD research. Uh, and I suppose the whole aim behind it is just to make, attractive for girls um, through dance because at the end of the day girls love to dance and you know they love to have fun and um, that's what I wanted to create a kind of positive momentum that's attractive to girls to try and get girls more physically active but also to stay involved in whatever sports they're playing you know whatever culture they're in um, so yeah that that was kind of my my goal behind it and I still intend on on doing my kind of movement mission and um, perhaps maybe next year now at this stage, but I want to kind of, I suppose, get that multicultural aspect of of sport and how girls and coaches in different countries kind of perceive sport and, and drop out and, you know, the barriers and the motivators, why girls are dropping out and what can we do to keep them involved um, as well at the moment. So um, I do want to, to take that on uh, next year. And I, I would like to document it. I think, you know, it's it's just important to, I think it will open up eyes of all girls, really, in any culture that it's the same message and it's applicable no matter where you are in the world, no matter what sport you're playing. Um, and I kind of want to get that message across and bring that back to Ireland and try and kind of promote things back in Ireland for girls as well. Brilliant, brilliant. And that's, that kind of leads on to my next question. So on a daily basis, over the last couple of years, you were... Um, researching for your PhD. Do you want to give an overview of what your PhD was about and the findings? Yeah, so I um, recently successfully defended my PhD. Thank, thank God. <laughs> it's been a long journey. <laughs> thank you. It's been a long, long journey. But um, I suppose I started back in 2016 um, in UCC, in the sports department in UCC. Um, and I suppose it was kind of the, the Ladies Gaelic Football Association um, kind of linked up with me. And uh, the, the whole aim of my research was to put an evidence base behind 
the existing Gaelic for Girls programme. So the Gaelic for Girls programme has been running with 12 years now and the whole aim of it is to increase participation levels for girls. So whether it be girls that have never played before or targeting kind of clubs that are struggling with numbers or with dropout rates. Um, Gaelic for Girls programme, it was implemented in the club to try and kind of pick up that momentum and introduce girls to the basic skills. So I suppose in terms of my research, where my, my research fits in, is that there, there's no evidence base. Well, there is now, but there was no evidence base behind the Gaelic for Girls programme. And my research was trying to, I suppose, investigate, you know, what's stopping girls from, from playing? Why are they playing? How can we try and improve participation levels for girls? Um, but also like looking at the skill side of it and looking at the kind of psychological side of it as well. Actually kind of put that evidence base behind the programme to now improve the program. So I tailored the program based on girls' needs to that age group. And now based on the research, it, the program is going to be improved so we can get more girls playing and staying involved in ladies football. That's essentially it in a nutshell. Um, in terms of like my findings, one of my studies in my PhD, I did a comparative study. So I looked at my own take on the research so for example over over the years i have been collecting data and i've been finding out what why girls are involved what's stopping them and um, i've looked at their skill level and i've also looked at things like self-confidence self-esteem um perceived confidence all these kind of uh, different factors that are affecting sport participation so based on my findings i designed an intervention linked with the gaelic for girls and i compared the research informed intervention with the actual existing program that's running with the last 12 years and I compare that also with the control group so with a club that's just had no Gaelic for Girls program. So one of the key findings that I suppose came through was um, physical activity levels were really really low so girls weren't meeting the recommended of 60 minutes of, of moderate to vigorous physical activity so that was expected really because you know research in Ireland, but also internationally, would show that you know, and has found that girls are lacking, they're less active than boys. And that was a, a big finding. And um, also the, the skill level. So I, I looked at seven skills that were culturally relevant to ladies' football um, and I assessed their skill level. And I suppose one of the shocking findings really that came through is that, you know, they're talking about two, three percent of pre-adolescent girls, so you're talking about eight to 12 year old girls, are not proficient at performing these basic skills. So I'm talking about skipping, running, um, jumping, kicking, catching, balancing, all these basic skills that children should have mastered, should be mastering when they're at least 10 years of age. Um, so I suppose that in a way it was worrying, but also it actually aligns with research again in Ireland and also internationally. And um, I think that that to me is something that was kind of shocking and that I brought into my intervention in terms of how could we try and improve their skill level um, in a fun way. And that's where the dance and things came in as well. Um, so the skill level was also a really, really big finding. Um, and the third thing then was the whole kind of psychological side of sport. So things like self-confidence, um, perceived kind of physical self-efficacy, um, all these barriers and motivators that were kind of factors influencing 
physical activity and why they're staying involved. And one thing that came through strongly there was the support structures. So for example, the support and encouragement from coaches, from you know teachers, from parents, from other peers, from role models, all of this was coming through in the findings. And um, so based on the findings, I included all of those structures into the intervention. So for example, I would have got the parents involved um, the coach education. I trained up the coaches as part of my intervention. You know, I, I, I suppose I, I explained to them about fundamental movement skills, the importance of it. I showed them the right techniques with the right frameworks in place for the girls. Um, and I provided that, that upskilling and that kind of continuous professional development for coaches. Um, and also, I suppose I, I incorporated things like the dance uh, was a big thing because I kind of thought, okay, how can I try and, and get increased their physical activity levels? Because that was one big finding. How could I try and improve their skill level? Because that was worrying. Um, but also, how could I try and increase that kind of, you know, support structure and connectedness and feeling kind of confident and feeling that they're able to do something um, to try and promote them and to stay involved? So I merged all of those findings into a dance routine because you know, they had that opportunity in the dance to have fun, but to also learn their skill uh, and, and improve their skill level, but also have fun with their friends and actually enjoy themselves and feel good about themselves. Because that that was a massive thing. A massive finding was that whole self-confidence thing for girls and that feel good factor. And um, so I, I embedded that into the dance. Um, and as a result, the intervention actually proved really successful in comparison to the existing program and in comparison to a control group because in my program, say my Gaily for Girls research program, I had embedded all of those support structures as guided by my research and, and that proved successful compared to just the existing program and a control group. So, you know, all in all, it just goes to show that going forward for research, for coaching, you know, in schools, whatever, whatever it may be, whatever sport that you do need to have these ingredients in a program or in a session, things like support structures, you know, encouragement, giving them, giving them ample opportunity to practice skills, but also in a fun way. And you need to incorporate that social kind of structures for girls. And that to me, that to me is, is a massive finding. And it's something that I think all coaches and teachers um, and you know, potential coaches should be aware of. That you know there there are research research structures in place and you know something like that. There's an evidence base there and it has proved successful in evidence uh, according to research. So you know it does work. And like at the end of the day, I think what I like about my own research project is that it's needs driven. Like I interviewed the girls, you know they filled out questionnaires. I ran focus group interviews with coaches, with parents. So it's all coming from the players and the coaches and and the parents within the club structures and within schools. So for future programs, you know, that or sessions that, you know, you're going to be planning, it's important to take into consideration the needs of the certain group of players that you're going to be coaching or that you're going to be playing with, or, you know, you're going to be planning sessions in advance that what are the things they want and what are the things they need. And I think that really, to me, going forward is a massive learning curve for me. Uh, when I am going to be designing training sessions or coaching in the future, hopefully, um, it has to be needs-driven. Very good. Jeez, that, was, uh, that was very, very interesting. Um, 
did you find a big difference, say, with you know, with um, girls, let's say, from smaller clubs that have to play underage with with fellas, as opposed to say bigger clubs that have you know a big number of girls that that have their own team. You know, would some of the girls in the smaller clubs be kind of pushed to the side? Do you was was that something you came across? Yeah, well, I suppose I didn't actually look specifically at that in my own research, um, but just from my own opinion and um, based on my own coaching and um, experience with girls, um, I do find that, um, yeah, like it's it, it's the country clubs sometimes struggle with numbers, uh, for girls, particularly actually coming into the. The adolescence period, um, because you see that dropout rate as well with girls. Um, but I do think, in in a way, it is beneficial for girls to play with the boys as well. Uh, it kind of toughens them up as well to a certain extent. But um, yeah, like you would you would find that that it is dependent on the club and it is dependent on the culture in the club. And um, like I know certain clubs in Cork even as well. You know, like some of the clubs are, are dominant with camogie or with hurling and then others are just, you know, the, the football is at the core. So it's just dependent on the club too um, and the structures in place. Some clubs in Cork are only recently um, kind of uh, have evolved with ladies football as well. So um, the enthusiasm levels are high there when they're trying to get girls into the, the clubs as well. But the, the beauty of the Gary for Girls program is that it, in a way it's kind of a recruitment program so it does target girls that may have maybe only played in school and that are not actually members of clubs and the whole aim of the Gary for Girls program is that it actually at the end of the eight weeks you have a choice of being of registering with the club or not so it's not like you're not saying you have to register with the club it's almost like a, t- a taste recession before you register with the club so it's giving girls that eight week kind of a window of an opportunity to come to an hour session a week, show them the basic skills as opposed to just put them in the deep end and kind of throw them in with players that have been playing for a few years. And so that's kind of the beauty of the Gaelic for Girls programme. You know, you don't necessarily need a national programme to do that. I mean, it, it's up to the coaches in, in the clubs to organise, you know, in programmes and things and, and recruit girls in and get them to kind of stay in. But really you're talking about that eight to twelve year kind of age group is just so important to give girls that positive outlook on on Gaelic football and and integrate them into the club as well. Uh, I suppose you know when girls are are going from eight eight to ten slash twelve, obviously I say the self conscious and you know self confidence element to probably get worse and worse with it because they're probably you know going to his college or school open days and they're probably getting to meet other people and they're probably more conscious in themselves. You know yourself when you're a kid, you don't care what you do. Um, the dancing is kind of breaking that barrier, is it? Is that what you found? Yeah, I suppose that's kind of my, that's the, the aim and the key kind of goal um, with the dance. Again, it was completely exploratory. So I just kind of experimented with it in my research and it proved really, really positive and successful. Um, you know, there are numerous barriers that, I wouldn't even say barriers, I'd say factors that influence why girls stay involved or why they don't. Um, and naturally enough, you know, as you said, when, for example, like kind of it's sixth class going into first year, kind of that transition, um, you would see a massive change in terms of girls dropping out or kind of girls becoming kind of less interested in going training because of that new environment, you know, they have new peers, there, there are social pressures as well, you know, trying to 
conform with society and boys, I suppose, come into play as well to a certain extent, which is natural enough for teenagers. Um, so it's kind of like, how do you make it attractive? How do you make ladies football and sport attractive for girls so that it's not just something that, oh yeah, I have to go training there now um, every Monday night and kind of almost like a chore it's like I, I want to go training because I enjoy it and I feel good about myself so how can you make it attractive to girls who may be kind of on that that kind of edge kind of like mm, I don't know will I bother going training now or I'm not really enjoying it anymore things like that because interestingly enough one one of the main findings that came through in my focus groups when I interviewed girls and um, I said what would what would stop you from playing sport and what's in the way you know why would you just give up and the one thing that was coming through, number one thing was lack of enjoyment. And ironically, on the other side of it, the biggest barrier was because I have fun with my friends. So like there, you ha there's a mismatch there. I mean, if, they're, if they want to be there because they want to be with their friends and they want to have fun, yet they're dropping out because maybe the coaches are too strict, the enjoyment is gone and things like that. So like it, it is important for girls I'm speaking on behalf of girls because I, I know myself like growing up and playing football um, and still to this day at senior training you know it might be a very very tough session but the sessions that I remember are the ones that I actually enjoyed even even though they were hard sessions is because we had a bit of a laugh or you know you, you felt good about yourself leaving the pitch so I think it's that lack of enjoyment creeps in that's a massive, massive barrier. But the good thing about it is that it, it's something that's preventable. Like, I mean, it's it's a simple solution. You you just, you, you make it as enjoyable as possible. And the way I look at it is as a coach or as a teacher, you know, in a, in a PE class or in a training session, like your job is done when they're leaving the training session and they're, they have a smile on their face. Now they, they might be panting or they might be bait, but at the end of the day, as a coach, your job is done if they are smiling and if they are happy enough with themselves going out going out the gate because that's what it's about at the end of the day I mean yes you want to win games and you want to win championships but you can't you it's over time you have to do it and if you if, if that feel good factor is there for girls especially with the self-confidence they'll want to come back to that training session again and they won't be kind of contemplating ah geez I don't know now will I go back or oh my mom now is making me go or my dad is making me go to this training session that it's it comes internally they're self-motivated to want to go back into that training session so that yeah like you were saying that the enjoyment is, is very very important and then the winning factor should come down the line you know the importance of, of winning games or championships one thing i came across and um, you just might give a bit of context in it is the tie Chai Thursdays. Oh, Chai Chi. Yeah, <laughs> probably all wrong there, no, but. Um, yeah, so that was a bit, again, exploratory. Uh, during lockdown, I kind of ran a five-day football challenge. Um, it was my own idea, really. I think it was the second or third week into lockdown, and I kind of had an inkling that, you know, we're going to be in this for a few weeks. Um, and I suppose coming from my own research, I wanted to kind of keep the momentum of ladies football for girls, for young girls especially. So I was targeting young girls really and coaches and parents to try and keep that positive momentum going for ladies football. So every day of the week from Monday to Friday, I had kind of a drill of the day or like a focus of the day. So um, on Thursdays, my focus was Tai Chi Thursday. 
So I kind of, again, because of the whole madness and because of the whole stress and uncertainty and anxiety going on during lockdown, I felt I needed to kind of include some sort of kind of well-being or mindfulness into football. So I just decided, I suppose with Tai Chi, again, it's I, I kind of wanted to merge like football with the, the creative kind of arts um, and bring football into it. So I called it Tai Chi Thursdays and I, I did Tai Chi with a football and I did I ran some live sessions on the Ladies Gaelic football pitch. And the whole aim of it was just to calm the mind and calm the body and you know, still having the football there as a focus, using the football as a tool almost to just kind of wind down and relax the mind and body because um, I suppose we, we all needed something to kind of slow us down a bit with, with all the uncertainty going on. So yeah, I, I it actually got some great feedback and I ran it for about eight to 10 weeks every Thursday uh, for only 10 minutes at lunchtime, uh, a live session and just spoke about the benefits of Tai Chi and, and kind of just that, that Chinese kind of culture of just winding down. Um, yeah, and it actually went really, really well. And I might try and bring it back again now, coming into the winter when kind of football is is finishing for the clubs and stuff, uh, just to try and, and bring it in as a weekly thing again. Because I actually got some great feedback, and uh, a lot of people actually tuned in. You know, there was thousands of views. Like, so oh. it was great to to see that. Look, if, if anything, it was benefiting people and it was helping people relax, uh, particularly during lockdown. And if if people want to see, you know what. Um, some of those sessions, if they're still available on YouTube, I'm, I believe. Is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. They're on YouTube, and um, the Ladies Gaelic Football uh, Facebook and Instagram would have videos up as well. And I have some on my own page as well, on my own Twitter and my own Instagram pages, just the drill of the days and things like that. Um, which I mean, like as I said, it created just a bit of a momentum, and that was always the goal, just to try and get players going, like. Like it was just really rewarding when I used to be getting messages on, on Twitter from parents up in Dublin and Donegal saying, or like you're my daughter and, and my sons are really enjoying your drill of the day, keep it up, like we're really, the challenges are great and even the parents were getting involved. So I mean, that's what it's about at the end of the day. Like it's nothing for me to go outside and just record myself kicking a ball off the wall, but knowing that it's impacting young players and parents and as I said, creating that kind of buzz for football when it was needed most because we were stripped of it essentially for a few weeks so with social media it was just so important to keep that buzz going and what i what i'm finding very interesting the fact like you're playing the the top intercounty standard in in the country and you just finished the phd like how do you balance the board of you know um playing at a top level and doing a, a huge amount of research and even, you know, doing that extra work to stay at that top level, you know, the gym sessions, run sessions. Um, how did you balance the time? Because it's definitely something I think people would have interest in. Yes, definitely. I suppose really, I mean, it, it hasn't been easy. Like, I, it's fine to look at the end result and say, Asher, ah, sure, like, I have my PhD now, or I have the All-Irelands, or, you know, it's easy to just look at someone's kind of, achievements more so than the actual like process of it and um, it's something I actually really struggled with and um, particularly over the last three years and um, I suppose you know researching at, at such a high level uh, playing at such a high level like I, I'm involved in a lot of other things as well with coaching and um, I run my own I run my own run my own camps as well 
and you know we I think we had 12 or 13 camps last year as well during the yes. summer on top of trying to play uh, county football and um, I suppose with the lecturing and everything I like it and have a bit of a life as well a social life and spend time with my family but I think like prioritizing is, is is one of the main things and as I said I still to this day struggle with it like I'm I am a bit of a perfectionist in that sense that I kind of maybe sometimes put too many eggs in the one basket. Um, and as a result of that, I have kind of hit rock bottom um, over the years. Uh, so like it's, it is hard, like it's easier said than done when you say, oh, like you just, you, you have your time management and you're prioritizing, but things do get in the way. And um, it is like at the end of the day, it's, I, I always say, and I always try to say, like, just live in the now with it. Like, if I'm going training, I try and just park everything that's going on, you know, whether if I've a deadline for my PhD or whether it's, you know, I've, I've an important test or I've an important email to send or this and that. I, I try just to park it and I try to just fully focus on what I'm doing in that time and in that headspace. And I, I think lockdown kind of helped me with that too, but I actually had time to slow down. Um, but it definitely has been a challenge. I mean, there were times there, I think 2017 particularly is the year that, that really stood out for me in terms of like, I definitely like overworked myself. And unfortunately, that actually had a negative impact for me on the pitch. I wasn't playing best of my ability. Um, I struggled like with training and things like that. And I knew it was a result of, because I was doing everything, like possibly I was, I was I was a research assistant for this big national study, and I would I would I would have been coming from Dublin about three schools in Dublin, coming down to a training session, and then the next day going off to you know Kerry, doing, going to another three schools, and coming back again, and trying to play a county, and trying to get the deadlines into my supervisors, and trying to spend time with my family. Like it, it, it does it, it did it did get like very demanding and overwhelming would probably be the word um but I suppose I do like I am very in tune with myself too and I would be aware if I am overworking it and I, I am very much into mindfulness and kind of meditation and I do meditate every day I do kind of journal a lot as well um you know if, if I'm having a bad day or if I feel that things are getting like whoa I, I write down a lot I, I journal and I can just get the thoughts out there or I would be open enough to talking to my friends or my sister as well, just people that I'd be close with and people that I trust. Um, I have learned that only over the last two, three years. Um, I think like I'm always known as like the positive one and people always come for me for, to, for advice. And um, not only just with coaching and, but just in general. And I think because you've such like high expectation, like, you know, when you're playing with County, when you're doing your research at a high level, when you're, kind of like have to be up on that kind of like you have to be on track all the time you have to be like pushing yourself all the time that when you crash yourself it's like oh my god like I, you're almost afraid to ask for help or you're almost afraid to actually say look I, I shouldn't do this training session because I'm actually really tired um, and I actually did struggle with that a lot so it is something that I, I'm still learning and um, definitely within the last year and I think lockdown really has taught me like just to slow down, like really slow down. Um, so it is, it's something that I don't think you'll ever perfect, uh, particularly when I think you're, you're, you're playing at a high enough level and you want to kind of get the best of yourself. 
on the pitch, but also off the pitch. It is something that you're never really going to get right, but it's something that you kind of have to judge yourself and you have to be instinctive yourself too. It's not it's not an easy road. Like, I mean, it's as, as I said, it's fine to say like, Asher, look, the six All-Irelands are there now where I have my PhD, the doctorate in the bag, but like there, there are days where I just wanted to give up as well and just kind of pack it in and not go training and, you know, you'd be fed up with, with, with sports, with, with PhD, with research, with work, uh, but you just love it like, and I think that's true test is when you're at your lowest, it's trying to be the best version of you when you're at your lowest. Um, and that's really something that I've learned, particularly with lockdown as well. Brilliant, brilliant. That's what I, what I was trying to get into there and you, you touched on was, um, you know, like what rituals would you have every day that, you know, if you are stressed, whatever you'd go to and you, you, you mentioned it there, you journal, mindfulness. Um, would you, you might just give me more context on the mindfulness, like just so people can understand it, like what kind of stuff would, would you see people doing in the mindfulness um, scene? So I think like with mindfulness, everyone has their own kind of way um, and what works for them. Like, so like I always think of like mindfulness as just like time on your own and time where you just reflect and you just enjoy your own company, really. And it doesn't necessarily have to be on your own. It could be with your friends, too. But I think everybody has some sort of meditation, if you want to call it. But like mindfulness or meditation can mean reading a book. It can mean going for a walk. It can mean, you know, catching up with a friend for coffee. It could mean just going for a spin somewhere with, you know, maybe a family member. It could mean going to the cinema. Just that downtime where you're not kind of thinking about sports. You're not thinking about research. You're not thinking, like, too much about it. Um, time away from the madness, really, if you want to call it that. That it's just you time, me time, whatever you want to call it. And everybody has their own kind of strategy if you want to, if you want to say that but for me I think definitely time on my own I maybe I enjoy my own company a bit too much but I do like you know just getting out in nature and I do like reading a book um I'd be big into the kind of self-help books and just always trying to kind of improve my mindset and deal like how do I deal with kind of adversity or just with a setback and with challenges like how do I deal with that and I always want to learn more about myself in that sense um, as I said, meditation, like I, I try and meditate twice a day. So first thing in the morning, before I look at my phone, before I, I kind of through Instagram, I just, I set my alarm for 10 minutes and I, I meditate. So I do something called TM meditation. I actually um, had a TM teacher a few years ago and I was really stressed. Um, and I, I use that technique, but there's loads of different meditation techniques. And um, I just use that one because I find it works. So I try and meditate and it sets me for the day as opposed to just looking at my emails, looking at what's going on in the world. That can be a bit overwhelming. It's just too much information going on. Um, so I, I try and kind of have that time first thing in the morning. And then maybe if I have a hectic day with emails or with training and stuff like that, I just try and, and get away for a walk even somewhere, put the headphones on, um, maybe put on a podcast or something. Um, and then spend time with my family like I'm such a people person I'm a family person I for anyone who knows me I am my granny is like my best friend and so I I always like make time for her every day and we go for a spin or we go for lunch or we go for tea somewhere 
um, and that's my form of meditation as well and it makes me happy because um, I just forget about what's going on in the world and I think that's important whether it's sport related or whether it's COVID-19 all of what's going on you kind of have to draw yourself back from everything as well and just kind of appreciate the moment and live in the now too and I think that actually helps like for me going into training session I'm constantly on my phone beforehand or if I'm working myself up with my emails or if I'm you know just really busy before training I always try and like leave that hour or two before training where I just like wind down um, and have that kind of mindfulness space so that I'm set then going into training session or if it's an important call or if it's an important presentation but I always kind of give that hour where I just kind of relax and just kind of ground myself then again. Very good. That's that's a fascinating insight. Um, I suppose it's really like finding what works for you to switch off, and that's that's definitely very very important. Um, I suppose we'll just give you a, a quick overview. What I found very very interesting was that how you got into football. Um, you were late to the you know to the stage. I suppose you know in in nowadays you know context you were twelve. Um, and you were spotted by uh, Charlie McLaughlin, who must have walked past or something and said, look, you're, you must be handy enough with the old football. And then one thing led to the next and six All-Irelands later. And for that, do you want to give an overview of what, exactly what happened there? Yeah, no, I was, you're right. It was a bit of a latecomer into the ladies football scene. Uh, it was actually in school. So I was in fifth class in school and I played the Skeenish Gull competition. Um, my first time playing and it was actually my fifth class teacher who always pushed me and encouraged me and she really I'll never forget it she always used to say Orla you need to join Middleton you need to join the club and um, so I just decided then to to join Middleton when I was about 11 or 12 um, and yeah I suppose I was a late kind of comer into it but I, I did do athletics as well competitively before a year or two before I started football so I think that stood to me in terms of like my fitness and my confidence um, so I started with Middleton when I was 12 and uh, one day I think I was like I was 13 or 14 and I was up in Nemo Rangers like I'm not sure do we have a match or something but we were we were warming up um, on the AstroTurf and Charlie McLaughlin who would have been like really big into ladies football he was kind of like as you said the father of ladies football back then when he kind of had the underage set up um, he was involved with all the underage teams and he actually came up to my dad um, after the training session and he asked would I would I be around that evening to call up for an under 14 quark trial uh, so I was only delighted with myself um, and I remember going up to Nemo again that day and and there um, so I actually made the panel and ever since then I, I've been playing under 14 under 16 minor under 21 um, and still playing senior now. I'm one of the oldies now at this stage. Um, so yeah, it's been an incredible journey. Like, and um, just it just goes to show that you know if you get an opportunity like that, um, just to take it, and if you just keep working at it, like, and you know you'll make your way up. Um, I suppose that was always my dream when I was younger to represent Cork at, at senior level, and uh, I looked up to those girls like Valerie Mulcahy and. Juliet Murphy and you know Breed Stack and Breed Corkery and all those girls and I actually remember playing or I remember going up to the the All Ireland in 2009 when Cork ladies won five in a row. That was the first time they won five in a row consecutively, um, and I remember them celebrating. I was up there at my mom and my dad, 
in the Hogan stand and I remember just those few moments when the final whistle went and they were bringing the cop around to doing kind of a lap of Co Park and I, I was kind of I was 17 at the time I was in fifth year in school and I was saying or I was maybe 16 at the time and I remember saying to myself like in my mind geez like I'd love to be down there now like with those girls and just the sheer like buzz of winning in All-Ireland in Crow Park and little did I know then a few weeks later I got um, a call from the Cork setup to go for trials uh, so I was only in fifth year in school at that time and I was still playing minor with Cork as well so I, I was delighted and I suppose I just embraced the opportunity and I really just kind of went at it and um, luckily I, I, I was part of such a successful team with all those girls um, and gratefully we, we won six All-Irelands in a row um, as well which was such a fantastic experience and the memories and it's, oh, it's been brilliant yeah it really has and I'm just so grateful really if anything just to be part of it and um, I know now we haven't really had the success over the last three or four years but look you win some you lose some and um, I suppose life would be boring if you were always on top of things you, you, need, you need those setbacks too and you need those challenges um, and if anything it kind of creates more hunger and more passion because you want to get back up there again and you want to be winning in Crow Park again so you know you really don't know what you've got until it's gone as they say and that's definitely true for ladies football um, when we had that winning spell like it's it's great to I suppose that's your goal at the end of the day we want to be winning in Crow Park so um, it's, 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 it's the bite is there the bite is there anyway this year so I'm looking forward to it <laughs> brilliant brilliant and just I, I don't know what many people know but there was definitely a sliding moment in your career that really if you didn't take the opportunity or if you did take the opportunity you wouldn't be here in Ireland still you'd be over in, in the US do you want to give an insight into that you must have been relatively good at, at running you had a chance to go on a scholarship, wasn't it? Yeah, athletics now would have been my first love. Um, I'm still strongly passionate about it, really, really passionate about it. Um, I started back in fifth class, fourth, fourth, fifth class in school and primary school. Um, and cross country would have been my love. Um, I suppose I, throughout my school years then, um, secondary school particularly, I would have ran competitively. So I would have competed in all Ireland's um, national titles and I actually ran for Ireland in 2010 as well. Uh, so I represented Ireland on the cross-country team. Um, so I was really heavily involved with athletics and loved just the buzz of cross-country and running in the muck and up the hills in the rain. Um, really like pushed myself that way. Um, and I suppose football was kind of only coming at competitive level there as well. So... I was always lucky in the sense that you know, football was during the summer and cross-country was during the winter, so I could kind of balance both of them. But the older I got, I suppose, the more competitive in football and in cross-country. You, know, you, you were expected, obviously, to be training more, putting up more mileage and things like that. So it's kind of that. Um, I did get an opportunity in sixth year to go over to Kentucky um, on scholarship in America, a running scholarship. Um, but at the same time, I had only been recently called up to the Cork Ladies football senior team. And that, I suppose, was always a dream of mine as well. Um, I think it was just long distance kind of was a bit of a barrier for me. In America, like when you're when you're only 18, 17, 18 years of age, I, I, I'm a homebird and as well. So I don't think I would have liked the idea of living away from my family at such a young age, although it was such a great opportunity. 
Um, I think my love was just with football, just due to the, the team kind of nature and the social nature of it. Um, you know, I, I'd say it would have been not lonely journey, but it would have been tough being on my own in America. Um, so I decided to stay at home uh, in Cork and play with Cork ladies. And <laughs> I certainly don't regret it because we did have kind of the glory years, as, as you'd like to call it, um, in from kind of 2011 to 2016. So I am really glad that I went down the ladies football route. Um, but in saying that, um, I, I think when I do retire from ladies football, I will go back running. Um, I, I love cross country and I still have that kind of fire in my belly for it. So I do think like at the moment it's impossible to do both because cross country will slow you down and you need to be quick on your feet with football. So uh, it just won't work right now with training. So I think when I do decide to finish football, I will go back full time to athletics as well. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, it's it's great to get opportunities, and um, I know there are some runners in Cork that have had that opportunity to go, and in Ireland that have had that opportunity to go abroad, um, and things have worked out massively for them as well. So again, it's just dependent on you know what you want, and I think it was true to myself, even though I was very young, like. I did what was best for me and not based on what my parents thought or not based on what the athletics club thought or what the scholarship people thought. It was, I want to stay because I enjoy playing football and I think I'll enjoy myself more playing football. And um, so, yeah, look, everything happens for a reason at the end of the day and and you just have to be true to yourself and kind of go with your gut instinct in those situations too. Well, are you team building weekends, as you know, and I've had... Uh, numerous t- lads um, teams and, and ladies teams one thing that really blew me away with the ladies teams is how strong and how you know tight knit they are um, I don't know would, did that you know was that the backbone of the you know the success you had with Cork over the last couple of years you know hopefully it you might you know you might have some of that in the next year to go, you know in the future but mm-hmm. looking back was it the strong team dynamic and the strong culture that allowed you to have, you know, to win consecutively for for six years and even got to the finals well a couple of years ago? Because you know, you know yourself, it's very hard to constantly win, constantly win. Look, yourself and Dublin have done it over the last couple of years, but apart from that, how do you, in a roundabout way, how do you keep that winning mentality? Mm, it's hard, like you know. It's like you, you, as you said, it's it's the culture. I think is is the key word there. Um, I think when we were kind of in our winning momentum, I do think that um, it was the culture created in the environment. So whether it be by management, but I do think that bond, like I do think that that kind of belief system was there. Not complacency. It was just more like you know we we did believe in ourselves and and we backed ourselves. Um, and I think that that culture kind of spread. It was almost contagious. Like I remember coming onto the panel, I was very young, but you bought into that culture. Um, you know, you always like give it a hundred percent at training session. Um, that winning kind of mentality. Uh, that's that's important, but it, it also feeds through the team. Um, and it's kind of that like never give up till it's over kind of attitude as well. Um, you know, even even at that when we did win those All Irelands, like it was never by a big margin. It was always like a point or two. I think in 2014 was the biggest margin and we still managed to win it when we were down 10 points. 
but that just goes to show how like we did it collectively for each other. And I think Eamon Ryan did instill that in us, you know, when in that training environment. And um, he had a lovely way of kind of managing the team and he had a lovely way of of kind of allowing players to express themselves, but also have that kind of gel and that kind of bond as well. Um, and I think come match day under pressure, particularly in All-Ireland finals, semi-finals and All-Ireland final day, that's what stood to us in the end. It was just that never kind of giving up culture, even if we were down 10 points or, or whatnot. Um, but it is, I think for, for women or for girls, I think that is very important. Um, I think we are different to men in that sense that we kind of strive for that social component more so than boys. Like, obviously we're competitive by nature. And I mean, if you're going to be playing at senior level in all Ireland finals, of course, you're going to be competitive. And of course you want to win. But I think having that support structure for girls and um, just kind of knowing that you're you're doing it for your teammate and just backing each other. Um, I think that's, that's really important for us. Um, and I think that came through particularly when from 2011 to 2016, where when we were winning that, that was always the backbone that we always kind of, we were doing it for each other. And um, we almost kind of um, bounced off each other in that sense, that like, you know, the momentum that we, we were very encouraging and we just bounced off each other um, and never kind of let negativity creep in too much. Um, we nipped kind of issues in the bud as well. And we just kind of, got on with it and just as I said earlier like we kind of parked our stuff at the gate coming in the door and like okay this hour this is our training session we fully focus on this now like give your full attention to training to the drill at an intensity um and that's I think what got us through then in the games as well but that culture is so so important to create massive yeah culture is so so important that definitely takes you know that takes years for it to kind of you know to come to fruition and it definitely takes a lot of leaders as well to pass that down through the to you know newer people coming into the panel um we'll finish up now on on this point um but women in sport in the country you know decades ago didn't get that much recognition recognition and recently it has been, which I, I think is definitely right. I don't know why there's such a big divide, to be honest. But that 2020 campaign is, has been excellent. And like you mentioned through your research that I suppose the more people, you know, um, these girls see as role models, the more inclined they're going to stay in that sport. Um, how important do you think the 2020 campaign is and how, do you, how important do you think it is to have you know leading sponsors as le- leading sponsors as little you know back in the ladies Gaelic football association well personally i think the 2020 campaign has been phenomenal um i think it really has created just that buzz for women in sport um you know you can see it yourself on on social media and it's great to see that even like a lot of men and boys as well are getting involved in supporting um, I do think it is after raising the profile massively for for women and for young girls. Um, I think the role modelling, as you mentioned, is really, really, really important from my own research, but also from the 2020 campaign. I mean, like obviously young girls, from a young girl's perspective, you need something, you know, you need a role model to look up to and that you want to strive for. You need that that goal. 
and that dream as well. So I do think the role modeling um, and actually profiling of players um, has been fantastic. It really, really has. And I think Lidl as well has massively supported ladies football, particularly, um, but also just, again, just creating that buzz and awareness. And like I even know myself from my, from my own games, just the attendance alone is reflective of of the success that the campaign has has you know has been doing over the last few years. But even the attendance at the games that should be hitting over 50,000, 56,000 at all Ireland finals in the last eight to ten years, like that's almost tripled since 2010, 2011. So like that in itself is reflective of like how well women in sport campaign and how well things are progressing. Like I do think that we still have a long way to go. Um, not being a negative Nelly or anything about it, but like I do think um, funding is a big thing. And I do think that there still is a lot of inequality in that sense in terms of funding for men and women. Um, and like at the end of the day, like <laughs> we're training just as hard and, you know, it should be treated at the same um, level. And like it is getting better. And I know the WGPA and the GPA are working really hard to try and fight for those rights and try and get more funding pumped in the, the Ladies Football Association and the Camogie as well. Um, like for example, I think it's only three years now since we've been getting like hot food after training. Like three years. That's to think of 2011 to 2016 that we were we were never fed really hot food. Um, after training sessions. Now, we did have some great management. Um, Frankie Hoonahan, um, in particular, he he used to always like go out of his way and make us soup and scones um, of a Sunday. And like we used to get like sandwiches and things like that, but never like a dinner. Um, and like they're the basics. Like, they're the, the things that you should expect um, at all levels, not just senior, underage as well. So thankfully things like that have you know improved but I do think also like in addition to the funding side of it I do think that women need to support more women um I I, I just kind of personally from my own games with Cork and even with Middleton with my club like when you look up at the crowd and you look up at the stand there's the majority of watching are probably men and more men will actually come to our games than women um, and even women that play football or play sport still don't tend to go to our games. Um, so I do think that like, as much as we need to get more funding and as much as we need to get more recognition and maybe more match time on the telly and, and whatnot, like I do think it has to come from the women as well. And I do think girls and women need to be more supportive of other girls and women um, to try and get more girls involved. And I do think as well that we do need more women coaches too. In terms of the coaching perspective um, and role modelling, we need more coaches. And I know Sport Ireland and the WGPA and even the 2020 campaign, they're all, you know, running strategies and campaigns to try and get more women involved, not only playing, but in coaching too. But it kind of has to come at both ends, playing kind of role, but also the coaching role as well. So, yeah, like, I mean, all in all, I think it's fantastic. And like, I mean, Rome wasn't built in a day. You have to, you know, you have to appreciate the progress at the end of the day too, and it is getting better, but um, it's still not the level that we should be getting um, 
as much as the men are, you know, in terms of food and just expenses. Like I know there's two or three girls now traveling up and down from Dublin, up and down from Beira, like 200 odd miles, like, and you're, you're talking about, you're doing that three times a week. Like that's what 15 hours in a car and not once are they getting, you know, a tenner even for for petrol but look that it is what it is you just have to remember that you're doing it because you want you're doing it for the sheer joy and you're doing it for the sheer enjoyment and and challenge of playing football and you know with with each other that's why you're doing it but I mean the added bonuses such as food and expenses like should be a given but look we'll get there we will get there yeah yeah geez that's it's a yeah, it's amazing to hear that. It's frightening, to be honest. It's completely wrong that, you know, they should, like, those things should be standard. Um, but look, future plans, and I'll leave you go in because I know we're, we're caught for time, but what, what does the future hold for you? Like, obviously, my travels um, have kind of been put on the back end. Look, it's, I'll, I'll get there eventually. So I suppose um, over the next few months, I'm going to focus my, my energy on football um, and hopefully get into Co Park. But... Also, um, I am hoping I'm, I'm kind of in the process of kind of setting up my own own business. Um, uh, I won't I won't get into the nitty gritty of it now, but it's basically kind of it has an educational focus, um, and it's kind of guided from my research and it's targeting players kind of, but also coaches as well. And um, I do want to try and kind of upskill coaches and you know, empower coaches and educate coaches and players as well. So it's kind of a mixture of kind of an educational focus, but also providing that service for players, inclusive of my my dance ideas as well. Um, So it's kind of all trialing that out now over the next few months. Um, And then at a a multicultural level, when I travel, I want to try and kind of do the market research while I travel. Um, And then I suppose down the line, like it's always my dream to own my own company. Um, kind of almost like a centre of excellence, if you want to call it that, and um, empower people and educate people because that's that kind of my calling, uh, per se. And I do feel that I, I need to do that now while I'm young and enthusiastic. Um, teaching will always be part of my future as well. Like I am a PE teacher, I am a lecturer in sport education too. Um, probably later on in, in my career, I think I'll, I'll go more down the lecturing route, but right now, I want to explore and I want to travel and I want to kind of gain as much perspective and insight and, you know, try out ideas now um, while I can and um, hopefully then go down the business route. So that, that's my goal um, to try and kind of give back to, to sport and give back to the GA community and the latest Gaelic football community as well. So um, fingers crossed now, we'll take it week by week though. <laughs> And that note, look, Orla, I uh, I'd like to thank you for taking time out, coming on for coming on an interview podcast, and look best look with everything going forward, and hopefully you'll uh, you'll make it to Crow Park at the end of the year. Hopefully now, thank you, thanks so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it, and you know I hope there's some insights there for coaches or for players. Um, and as I said, like you know, it, I I will be posting more things, um, related to football. Um, as well in terms of like coaching advice and um, you know upskilling and things like that too so if, if anybody's any questions like just contact me on on Twitter or on Instagram um, and I'd be happy to help in terms of any queries or anything like that thanks so much for having me on I really enjoyed it
Hope you all enjoyed that interview with Orla. Such an incredible career by her so far. Six all earned medals and a PhD in the back pocket. Um, she gives a great insight into you know how she has dealt with that, how she balanced you know playing at the top level and you know doing her PhD. Um, she's definitely a, a great you know massive inspiration to any aspiring athlete. Um, you know that it can be done. And look, thanks very much for for coming on interview podcast again, Orla. We really, really appreciate it. Um, that is all from us on this week's episode. Please do get in contact with the show if you'd like to contribute in some way at all. We'd really, really appreciate it. Um, and don't worry, everything will be kept confidential. Don't forget to rate, review um, our podcast, and go follow us on our social media channels. Be kept up to date with all the information you know what's going on in the world of and on the ball team building you'll find us on instagram at underscore on the ball team building over on facebook it's on the ball team building on twitter is at we are on the ball two that is the digit two we're also on linkedin just uh search on the ball team building and you'll find us there as well have a lovely week and be sure to tune in again next week when we have another exciting guest till then stay safe and remember cred and it's fan Talk to you all soon and thank you all very much for listening.